Here's the pitch. Oliver wants to throw. He's got Lance Carl open. Caught. 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The Buffaloes at four on a 52-yard pass from O.C. Oliver to Lance Carl. Running the option on first down. it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Caught. Touchdown. Caught by Westbrook for a touchdown. Here's the toss play up Breaks a tackle. Touchdown. Touchdown. That's five for Chris Brown. Five-step drop. Sefo. Lufa wants the deep ball. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, you had a late night last night. Uh, I've got, had a kind of a late start to it this morning, but uh, we're here to talk uh, some CU football. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, I'll, I'll wake up quickly, so don't worry about me. <laughs> we both have our caffeinated beverages here, so hopefully uh, as this uh, show goes along, we'll get livelier and livelier. We've got uh, some new football commits to talk about, uh, basketball trans player transferring in, uh, a football player transferring out, and then of course like always we have fan questions and we'll get into some other topics here. And actually before we get into that, just right now through the Twitterverse, Andy Katz is saying that Colorado is going to play Notre Dame 7 p.m. on ESPN2 November 21st in the Legends Classic out in Brooklyn, so uh, a good competitive uh, game there to, to begin the, the tournament out in Brooklyn. Yeah, definitely. I was actually really excited to hear about this because my parents live on Long Island, so... It's right around Thanksgiving. I have an excuse to go home for Thanksgiving now. I can go watch the Buffs. Awesome, awesome. Bring my family. Well, let's kind of get the, I guess, the bad news out of the way here to start the show. Patrick Carr decides to leave Boulder after one year in the program. Kind of mixed feelings about this one. We, we're doing our Top Buffs countdown right now, and this is a guy that ranked uh, 21st on the list, so a, not a guy you want to see leave the program, but among those four running backs, that are listed atop the depth chart. He ranked fourth on that top buffs countdown. So it's not a sky, sky is falling type of situation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think for this year in particular, it's not as big of a loss as some people have made it out to be. Um, he's obviously the most athletic guy of the group. But honestly, he's kind of disappointed me so far. Um, seems like a guy who had a lot of potential but wasn't really putting it all together there. Um, he's a guy you want to keep in the program because, like I said, he's – the sky's the limit for him if he really gets it, you know, if he would have got his head together, I think he had a chance to be special, but at the same time, it's probably our deepest position, so I feel like we have the horses to uh, continue the race, shall we say, um, and uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I think Bo Bisharat coming in, if he's ready to go right away, it'll allevi alleviate a lot of those depth chart issues that some people are concerned about. Obviously, they're different players, but I think if you have four guys that you can trust, you're in a pretty good shape at that position. Obviously, the, the main reason people are disappointed to see Patrick Carr leave is the fact he ran a 10-6, 100-meter dash in high school and showed in, in very brief snippets that speed. I, I thought that he, just his overall instincts weren't, weren't, weren't all <coughs> right. that great last year. And, 
it's one of those, he's, I've said this before posted on the board, I think he's a very much a boomer bust type of guy. This is a guy that could really blossom into a thousand yard back or he might just never really progress. It's hard to say at this point. I am very curious to see where he goes. It sounds like it's going to be closer to his home there in Texas and to see how he develops. I'm going to keep an eye on his development for, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously we wish him the best, no hard feelings or anything like that, but... Um, out of all the positions where we could lose a guy with this level of talent, I think running back is probably the one that you would be most comfortable with. So, Yeah. In terms of new commits, Isaiah Lewis is really the second sleeper commit in this 2017 class. He's a six foot, 195-pound safety from Granite Bay High School in Northern California. The reason he earned that offer from Colorado was he went to the Contra Costa satellite camp and balled out in front of the Colorado coaches. They like his size. They like his ball skills. So now Colorado has 14 commits, and Isaiah Lewis and Heston Page are the only two recruits on there that don't have offers from other power conference schools. We've talked before about the fact that this is going to be a class of 25, maybe even more, because you can count some guys back. There will be a couple guys like Isaiah Lewis in the class. Are you Were you okay with them taking him, or what was kind of your reaction to the commitment? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think people were concerned because they went back-to-back, you know, so you're like, oh, we lost the momentum. We're getting two stars back-to-back now. But he's a guy that, honestly, I liked a lot. You could hear, based on the people who were at that camp, that a lot of people thought he really performed well there. A lot of people were saying they were surprised he didn't get a few more offers based on his performance at that camp. So you got to feel comfortable about that. Like you mentioned before, there's uh, it's going to be a full class, so we're going to have some guys that don't have the power conference offers, guys that you're going to take a chance on. He's one of those dudes. We'll see how he performs uh, senior year. It's a program in Northern California that um, we hear about a lot putting guys out there, so it's another one of those schools that it's nice to have a, a relationship in the school with the coaching staff, that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I'm, it's kind of a wait and see. We'll see how he plays senior year. But right now I'm definitely not concerned about having him on the commit list. He also went out to Cal, one of Cal's camps, and apparently the Golden Bears were trying to decide whether they were an offer or not. They were really impressed with him there. But, yeah, he didn't have the the other offers, so that's that's the main concern, you know, from the fan base there. If you're going to take a sleeper, at least have worked him out in person is kind of my take on yeah. it. And I was a little – I think in the past, honestly, the staff did find some guys at those satellite camps, but they maybe fell in love with too many of them. This year – you exit June and you only get you only pick up two of those type of guys. It's not the end of the world. Grant Polly, on the other hand, big commit on many levels, size, yeah. ability. Twenty four other offers: Arizona State, Cal, Michigan, Missouri, North Carolina, TCU, Texas Tech. This was a guy that was highly regarded across the country. He's six foot four and a half as an offensive tackle prospect. If he's an inch and a half taller, we're talking about him being a top one hundred recruit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I love his film, love his offer list, love how much he loves CU. I mean, he's been talking us up even well before he was committed. Uh, It's the biggest offensive line commit we've had in a while. Uh, Timmy Lynott would be right on par with him, but before that, it had been a long time since we got somebody that had this many offers. He's got some big-time programs in the state of Texas offering him as well, which is usually a good sign that he's a really big commit. That's That's one of those situations where you really feel good about you know, who we were going up against in order to get this guy. I know the staff loves him. Out of all the guys they looked at at the camps, a lot, a few of them have said that they were, he was as good as anybody that they offered. So 
Um, it's a big one for us, and hopefully we can keep that momentum going for a few more offensive line commits because we need a few more big bodies. When talking about the uptick in recruiting for CU, of course, we've talked about the facilities. We've talked about the impact Darren Chavarini's had and even other guys like Clayton Adams, Charles Clark, doing a really good job on the recruiting trail. One thing maybe we're not giving enough credit to is the camaraderie that these 2017 commits and top targets have developed with each other. When I talked to Grant Pauley right after he committed, that was one of the main things that sold him on the bus was this group of guys that they have coming in in this class of 2017. And he even made a comment that some other schools had tried to do a similar thing, but it felt really awkward um, in terms of, you know, a, a Texas Tech commit reaching out to him and trying to get him to go to Lubbock. For some reason, it it was different with CU. That group of guys just has a chemistry within them in this group text and, and through social media that uh, makes it seem more natural. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to put a finger on exactly why that's the case. I guess it just comes down to guys like Jonathan Van Deest and, and Tyler Lytle are just good recruiters. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they've been doing this for a while now. I mean, it, it, having just a kid that you don't even really know at Texas Tech just hitting you up randomly and saying you should come there is different than having eight or nine guys who have been committed for a while and talking to each other for a while attack you all at once and try to make you feel like you're a part of that family. You know, it's, it's if, if one guy's doing that, I could see how it would feel a little bit awkward, but if everybody on the commit list is hitting you up, it makes you start to feel like you belong. Yeah. Well, it's funny is you, you, I've talked to some guys that said Tyler Lytle was recruiting them to Colorado before he even committed to Colorado. So those guys are, are now kind of jumping on board with both feet and, and obviously some wins have to come this fall. We all know that. Uh, but it's hard not to get excited if you're a Colorado fan about the recruiting just because it's at a different level than we've seen any time here recently. And it seems like the good news might keep rolling in here. Colorado is going to have a big barbecue on July 24th. They're going to do this throughout the Champion Center, obviously bring in uh, some catered food and have some games. All the current players will be there. It sounds like 10 of the Buffs, at least 10 of the, the Buffs, 14 commitments will be there. And then some top targets, Malik Horton, a linebacker from Atlanta, Casey Roddick, an offensive lineman from Southern California, Alan Ali, a highly regarded offensive lineman from Texas. Those guys have all said they're coming out to this uh, barbecue event. And then Colorado's trying to get those Vegas guys, uh, Alex Perry, Bubba Bolden, and Greg Rogers to come out. And then William Sherman, an offensive line from, lineman from Texas, is another guy they're trying to, to get out for that event. Could be, you kind of talk, we were talk, just talked about the camaraderie within this group. If it all comes together, this could be yeah. a really big, uh, it's going to be a Sunday, a big couple days for recruiting news. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it has the potential to be a huge week for us. Um, I think if everything goes well, we might have a pretty boring recruiting season in the fall this year, which yeah. I, which would be cool. I mean, it'd be a weird feeling because we've always been kind of stressed about, oh, who's going to come in, who's going to come in. But there's a potential that maybe we could have somewhere around 20 commitments by the football season starting, which would be pretty crazy yeah. to see. So uh, I'm interested to see who, who ends up coming out, what kind of you know method they take to get everybody together and you know, instead of having that group text, they can all sit face-to-face -face and kind of talk about their future. Play a little cornhole. Yeah, there you go. Has potential to be awesome. they got to get the buff uh, custom boards out there, though. Yeah. Of those guys I mentioned, Malik Horton, the linebacker from Atlanta, it sounds like Maryland and CU, it's kind of down to them. Uh, Casey Roddick, the O-lineman from California. Cal in Colorado are his top two. Alan Ali is actually verbally committed to SMU right now, so it'll be probably SMU or Colorado. And then those Vegas guys, I think you're going to have to wait on them a little bit. I know, like Alex Perry said in an interview recently, he wants to decide and then 
a minute later says he's going to take other official visits, so it's kind of hard to get a read on those Vegas guys. Reading between the tea leaves and the interviews and all that kind of stuff, it seems like they favor other schools first right now, but if the one thing we have in common is that all three of them are looking at us heavily. So if, they can, if we can somehow convince them to be a part of that family and they feel like they belong, you might be able to get all three of them. Um, I think you'll see that if one or the other goes a certain direction that you might see a few of those guys kind of go off and do their own thing as well. But we'll see how it goes. I mean, to even have that level of talent be considering us for this long in the process is pretty cool. So um, hopefully they find a way to close. I mean, we've certainly said that they couldn't do it with a few of these guys before that, that, that have ended up committing. So, um, you know, I'm not going to say that they can't do it this time. I It's, it's one of those things that it almost seems like with these three guys, it's going to be all or nothing, basically, yeah. kind of, I think you were alluding to that, is I think you might get all three of them, or you might not get any of them, because there's, if Perry and Bolden come to Colorado, and I know Greg Rogers right now might be leaning towards the LA schools, but if both those guys come to Colorado, there's going to be some of that added peer pressure for him to maybe to, to join them. Let's work in uh, some talk here about Naaman Wright, who uh, transfers into the men's basketball program from Missouri. Earlier in the summer, they were recruiting Jimmy Witt, former Arkansas player, a little bit different player than, than what you have with Naaman Wright. Between those two guys, who would be the better addition in your mind? Uh, there's a lot of ways to go with it, I guess. I think Naaman Wright is probably a safer selection. Uh, Jimmy Witt is probably more um, risky in, in that he was a really highly recruited guy out of high school. Naaman Wright was too, but Witt was um, a really high prospect from somewhere around 40th in the country. Um, it has the potential to be a 20-point uh, scorer, I think, but struggled a bit at Arkansas his freshman year, which was a surprise to a lot of people. Um, so I think he's a little more of a boomer bust prospect. Wright's a great rebounder, so he's a, probably a better fit for Tad Boyle's system. Uh, you know that he's he loves guys who are willing to get in there and rebound. So from that perspective, I think you have to like the natural fit for the program. Uh, but he's got to get more consistent, so we'll see what they can do with him in his transfer year. Because if he can get a lot better, I mean, you see, we've heard a lot about Derek White and how he got better. Same thing with Xavier Johnson, even though he was battling injuries. Uh, Josh Fortune, a lot of these, and George King, obviously, with his redshirt year, Wesley Gordon. That You know, they've done a good job developing a lot of these guys in their off years. So we'll see if we can do the same with Wright. You talk to people out in Columbia that, that covered Naaman Wright, and they kind of say that maybe he was a little bit of a tease in the sense that they always felt there was this untapped potential that just mm -hmm. they could never pull out of him there. He did uh, lead the team in, in rebounds, I think, last year and, yep. and minutes played. And obviously I wasn't a very good Missouri basketball team. It, it comes down to, uh, like you said, what what does he do during this redshirt year? If he makes the jump that George King did during his redshirt year, look out, Pac-12, because he's going to be a really good player. Worst case scenario, he's one of your best players coming off the bench, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I think you, at the very least, you're helping your rotation, at, at the very worst. I mean, he's an athletic guy, he can shoot the ball a little bit, um, even though it's a little bit inconsistent at times. But um, any time you can get an aggressive rebounder in Tad Boyle's system, you know he's going to be effective in at least one aspect of the game. So from that from that side of the angle, if you know, you have to feel pretty good about what he's going to do for us. Um, and we, it was a natural fit because we have a lot of these wing players that are seniors this year. So got to yeah. find some talent to replace those guys. That's still, even with Naaman Wright coming on board, the wing for the class of 2017 is still a huge mm -hmm. need. And I know we have a question about one of their top targets there in our mailbag we'll get into later. 
The transition to scout, I feel, has gone pretty well, Tyler. It's been uh, basically two weeks since the move from, from rival over to scout. And like anything, when you move to something new, whether it's a new house or a new network like we did, there's a few things you got to get used to, and, and nothing's perfect. But I've been pretty excited about the all the fans that migrated over with us to scout. It honestly exceeded my expectations in terms of the signups and the number of people that had followed us over. Yeah, I would have to agree with that as well. So, again, I, I can't say I've rehashed this a million times, but I just can't thank these guys enough for following us over. It was um, humbling experience, I guess I would describe it as. Um, in, in that regard, obviously some people aren't used to the features of the board and the site, and I think a lot of those things will change over the next six months as they improve with all their updates I know we've not necessarily promised that, but talked about how that's coming down the pipe, so I hope that all works out in our favor. But yeah, I mean, it's just like anything else. Anytime Twitter changes formats or Facebook or whatever, everybody always freaks out for a month or two, and then you get used to it. Yeah. Um, so I, I hope that most people find that to be the case with Scout as well. But I still think it's going to be an exciting transition. I'm looking forward to see how it plays out and, you know, just hoping for the best. One of the things I, I do like about Scout is the functionality of their video modules and stuff. The thing I didn't like is that it it kind of seems like it's forced on the viewer. Like the, you've got to turn off the autoplay so it doesn't just start automatically, which is just kind of a flaw in, in the design there, in my opinion. But a good thing, I, I've had talks with the higher-ups there at Scout, and we are going back to, they call it a carousel. If you go to the uscfootball.com page, it's the USC affiliate on Scout, you'll see kind of the layout that we're actually going to move back to on buffstampede.com here pretty soon, so I'm kind of excited about that. It's not going to be, there will be tons of video, it's just not going to be thrown in your face quite the way it is right now, so right. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, I'd be interested to see if they just slide those video features down to the bottom of the article, so that if you want to hear more When you actually go in the article, if, if it's a video content, it'll still play. I'm just talking more or less the front page. Okay, be, so it's a different... Because if you don't hit off that autoplay, I mean, the thing just starts yeah. playing, and... <laughs> It's kind of frustrating because let's say it's a commitment story. All of a sudden, that full story link goes away when the video starts playing, so they can't get into the full interview unless they pause it. So it's functionality-wise not the best design right now. But so I was very encouraged to hear that there's going to be changes there. Cool. Um, so yeah, no, I'm I'm still energized and, and excited about the move. So again, thanks for everybody for following us over. Questions? Let's let's get into it here. You have questions and we have answers. Well, at least these guys think they do. It's time to dive into the Buff Stampede Radio Mailbag, which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. The Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. All these questions are from the Stampede Elite Message Board on buffstampede.com. You know, it's it's a very elite message board, Tyler. Yes. That was one of the greatest <laughs> tweets I've gotten in the past couple months. I wish that we had not had that been the name of the board for 13 years and, <laughs> and that we could have changed it just to cause the drama there. But so that was pretty funny. <laughs> it sounds it made like me you, laugh. It sounds like you and Angry Ace have uh, have made up. Are you holy Sure. <laughs> totally. No, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I'm giving everybody a shot to... Uh, to prove to me that they can be a follow on Twitter that I enjoy. So we'll see how it goes. All right, so. all right. AVL Buff wanted to know what we think the, the 
top three most intriguing position battles are for fall camp. I'll let you lead off here, Tyler. Um, I would say the number one position battle for me is going to be the cornerbacks. Isaiah Oliver and Akella Witherspoon, I'm interested to see how that opposite corner plays out. I think all three of them are going to play. It just kind of depends on where on the field they're going to be. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Oliver can surpass Witherspoon because that would be, I think, the ideal situation for CU because um, Witherspoon's a guy that you can rely on. But if Oliver can surpass him, that means you got two studs back there in Cheeto and Oliver. So I think that's the biggest one for me right now. Okay. I actually said number one right tackle. Right now they have, uh, I believe, still Aaron Hagler and Sam Cronsage listed as co-starters there. Uh, Shane Callahan worked out some at right tackle during spring ball. I'm interested to see how that shakes out. Aaron Hagler has a really bright future, I think, but he still needs to put on at least 10 pounds, in my opinion, to be a really effective starting right tackle at the Pac-12 level. Maybe he's done some of that this summer. We'll see when camp starts what his frame looks like. I honestly would maybe lean towards Sam Cronsage being your starting right tackle right now, but I think that's definitely an intriguing position battle. X receiver, too. You've got Juwan Winfrey, Bryce Bobo, and KB and Ento all battling for, for a spot there. And I would be surprised if Winfrey doesn't win it, but who wins that, that backup role between Bobo and Ento? You mentioned cornerback. I think it's going to be, based off my conversation with Mike McIntyre, very similar to last year where you're going to be in base nickel most of the time with Cheeto, Bayouze in that nickelback role. So, yeah, I think you're going to have Cheeto, Akella Witherspoon, and Isaiah Oliver out there a majority of the time. My question is who backs those guys up because it's going to be true freshmen. If you, if you look at the, the eligibility chart, there's Karan Bayham and Trey Udofia and Ronnie Blackman all coming in. Which of those two two guys steps into a backup role and, and you know gets their feet wet this year? Punt returner, Jay McIntyre and, and Ronnie Blackman, maybe some of the other true freshmen. That could be an in, intriguing position yeah, battle. Jewel Macy, maybe. Yep. Could be involved there yeah. as well. What about backup quarterback? That's kind uh, of an intriguing. I hope, it's, I hope it's not intriguing. Shall we say that? <laughs> you can say whatever you <laughs> yeah, want, Tommy. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that they're neither one of those guys are getting a lot of playing time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it, it'll say a lot about what, what the future of the program is going to be like. If, if Montez can solidify himself in that role and uh, get some playing time and maybe some of the blowout games. Um, that would be good, I think, for the future of the program. The last one that I mentioned on there was I cheated and said interior line because um, I think there could be a bit of a carousel between all those guys at the garden center position. Um, so it would be nice to kind of get that tied down and solidified to which of those guys in the interior line are going to start and which of them are going to back up. The one we did mention that people probably expected us to is running back. And the reason I don't think it's an intriguing position battle is because, especially with Patrick Carr transferring, you've got three backs that are all going to play if they're healthy. Yeah. And it, I don't I don't think it really matters who's the first guy out there because what they should do, and, and hopefully Hagen has some say in this, is really legitimately roll with the hot hand. They said they wanted to do that in the past few years, but yeah, they, they really didn't. Yeah, no, I agree that. There are multiple times every game where someone got taken out and everyone in the crowd was just like, why would you do that? So it'll be interesting. I think all three of them will play a lot. Um, so it's not really a position battle for me. They're all kind of co-starters in my opinion. But yeah, I do hope they do a better job of finding mismatches and using the guy who's really running well in the particular game. I guess Bo Bichret's role is kind of an intriguing deal. Um, I don't, but I, again, I think... You're going to have two back sets with him being the bigger back a lot. So, again, it's it's not quite a, a true position battle, per right. se. All right, let's move along. Digger Buff, 
who shines on offense or defense that wouldn't be expected. Like last year, it was Donovan Lee doing so and making some big impact plays, and then Gamboa leading defense and tackles with how good Jordan Carroll was, minus not wrapping up in the backfield too often. All right. I actually, uh, I kind of expected Jordan Carroll to be pretty good last year based off camp, but I, I mean, I can see since he was a newcomer, maybe that was a little bit of a surprise. Gamboa really led the defense and tackles because of the position he played. And because of the injuries. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I would say, honestly, that the guy that I still feel like has slept on too much is Ryan Muller. Okay. Um, I would honestly say he's probably the key to the defense, in my opinion. They were really good when he was healthy last year. He's all over the ball. I just feel like he's a really athletic guy, makes a lot of the right decisions. He's really smart back there, doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. Um, I, he, he's the one guy that I still feel like can make a big impact that people just still don't really talk about enough on defense. My answer to this question is is it's kind of two-parted here. There's the casual CU fan that is not listening to this podcast but will go to games this fall, and he's going to be really surprised by Isaiah Oliver. He's going to say, where did this kid come from? He's going to look down at the roster. Oh, he's from Arizona. He's competing in track. He's going to read his bio and just be blown away at his athleticism. There will probably be some growing pains for a first-year corner. Mike McIntyre told me that while he's very, very high on Isaiah Oliver, you never really know until other teams get film on a guy and then try to pick apart his weaknesses. So that's something to keep an eye on. But I think Isaiah Oliver will be, for the CU, casual CU fan, a guy that's like, where did this guy come from? In terms of all of you listening to this right now, based off some of the voting I saw from fans on our Top Buffs Countdown, I think Tim Coleman and Jace Frankie on the defensive line could exceed some of the, the diehards fans' expectations. Yeah, definitely. I actually I had both of those guys pretty high on my list, if I remember correctly. Um, I, I would definitely be on board with that. I think people underestimate how much of a defensive line rotation a football team uses. Um, they expect a lot of these backup guys to not play, like many of them are on offense. You know that A lot of those yeah. backups don't play. But on defense, especially the D-line, a lot of those guys are going to see pretty significant snaps. So you'll hear their name called probably more than you expect in the fall. I agree with those two for sure. Dune1980R had the following question for us. If for some reason Cephal Lufau isn't back for the beginning of the season, who do you think will start against CSU? Now, before I answer this question, I will say I don't like the wording of isn't back for the beginning of the season. Cephal Lufau is more or less back. Mm-hmm. It's if he has a setback in camp, that would right. be the issue. Yeah, I mean, from everything we've seen from him in the past month or so, he looks pretty healthy. I mean, he was at both of those camps that we were at in, in the, the past month. Um, no limp, no cast, no boot, no nothing. He looks like he's lost a lot of weight, honestly. He looks like he's in better shape than he was last year. Um, so I think you can expect him to be out there for fall camp unless something goes wrong. Uh, but I guess to actually answer the question, it's probably going to be Steven Montez. Um, it's going to be tough, though, because, I mean, you talk about, oh, well, they they need to win six games or close to it to keep their job, but I think they probably realize that Kirky's not going to do that either, um, so you might as well go with the youth and kind of develop them a bit. Um, so that, if it was, if I was in Max shoes, that'd be the direction that I would go, most likely, but I can't really speak for him, but if I had to guess between the two, I would say Montez probably gets the nod. I think it would depend on the injury to Cephal Lufau. If it's God forbid, a torn ACL in camp, you're going to roll with Steven Montez knowing that by the middle of the season he's got a higher ceiling. If it's a mild sprained ankle, just enough to keep him out of the CSU game, I think I would not be surprised if you saw Jordan Gerke in that situation. 
All right, 91 buff. Wants to hear some thoughts about how the offense is going to differ with Darren Cheverini as the uh, new off- co-offense coordinator, as well as the dynamic between him and Brian Lindgren. We've, we touched on this in our post-spring ball shows. Basically, the, the difference you're going to notice is the fact they're going to go up, up-tempo all the time instead of in the past where they would kind of pick and choose their points to, to go up-tempo. The, the plan is just to go high-octane all the time. As Philip Lindsay says, if you're not going high tempo, your butt's going to be on the on the bench. You will see a few more Texas Tech concepts, especially in terms of the running game, like I mentioned, the two-back sets. But you're going to not see maybe the drastic changes in terms of the actual plays. It's going to be more the tempo. Yeah, I think the one thing that you'll notice is they're going to try to get their most athletic guys matched up uh, towards a defensive mismatch more often, find ways to get guys in space against slower linebackers, that type of stuff. That quick tempo allows guys to get out in space a little bit. Um, you'll see a lot more wide receiver blocks, you know, um, tackles going out onto the perimeter to make blocks, that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that's that's the big thing to add on besides what you mentioned already. I just think you'll see a lot of plays. I think that's going to be key for if Sefo is healthy enough to play. He's got to be able to hit those passes because he struggled with that last year, and they got to stay on schedule. In terms of the dynamic between Cheverini and Landgren, uh, we do know that Brian Lindgren will call the plays. Darren Cheverini will be down on the sidelines. I'm sure there will be communication between those two. Um, but at the end of the day, it's going to be Brian Lindgren making the calls in terms of the play. When there was like a coaching rift, like with Rip Sharer and, and Eric Bieniemy back in the day, like you heard rumblings that things just weren't good, you know, in the in the coach's office. Everything I've heard between these two guys is they've really clicked really well, so I wouldn't be super concerned about that. And there, there is always a, that that question: Are there too many cooks in the kitchen? You've got to have very clear defined roles going in, into a game because it's so hectic on game day. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I will say it's, they haven't had an opportunity to get into a stressful position yet, so we always, you know, we'll have to see how that plays out when things aren't going as well as you want. Um, yeah, Sacramento was, State hasn't beaten these books right, yet. exactly. <laughs> So, um, but I will say that they're a good match for each other and that they're totally different personalities that I think they can kind of bounce off of each other in a way that there's not going to be a lot of heads butting, uh, not not too many similar type personality where they just don't get along. Um, I, I think they mesh pretty well together and that what one does well, the other doesn't and vice versa. So I, I think the potential for them to be really good together is um, very high. Brian Lindgren... Deserve some criticism last year, especially for their red zone offense and execution. But if you look at his total body of work, especially outside of the red zone, I mean, he's gotten this offense moving the, moving the football. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there again, I was uh, I criticized him quite a bit last year as well. But a lot of that, hopefully, we'll just we can just chalk up to the offensive line struggles and injuries. Um, we'll see how they. Switch it up this year, but uh, I mean, I definitely have confidence that he can get it done. His, two years ago, the offense was fantastic, so you got to give him a break, and we'll see how it goes. And I think what's nice is that if it's not working out, they have somebody they can trust to um, throw a few wrinkles in there if necessary. When I sat down with Mike McIntyre, I kind of posed something to him. I said, are you looking for Cepho to basically combine his gunslinger mentality, his success as a passer two years ago with what he did in the ground game as a runner last year? And McIntyre just kind of interrupted and, and said that basically five games last year, that shoulder kept him from really being the quarterback yeah. that he was. Do, do you buy that 100%? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you could tell that he was injured for a good portion of the year. Um, 
I don't know how much it affected him, but there were times during games that you could see that he just wasn't getting the ball where he wanted to because he wasn't getting clear rotation on his shoulder or, you know, he just looked hobbled in some other way. So we'll see how it plays out. But, yeah, I I think it isn't the only reason he wasn't successful last year, but I do think it hurt for sure. C. Bardeen wants to know if everyone is expected to be 100% healthy when camp opens. Basically, Jason Sanchez is a safety, a backup there, did suffer that torn ACL during during uh, camp. He would have been a spe- or during spring ball. He would have been a, a special teams guy and a depth piece there. Wouldn't have been on the field a whole bunch. I guess you could maybe put Addison Gillum and Cephal Lufau into that category. Uh, I think though, that's more from a precautionary standpoint than those guys actually still being hurt at this point. Yeah, I mean, obviously the 100% number, the answer is no. Not everybody's going to be 100% healthy. But I think so far, based on what reasonable expectations would be, they're in pretty good shape in terms of health. So that's probably what he really meant by the question. There isn't, luckily and unluckily, a whole lot of opportunity for guys to get hurt between now and camp starting either. Um, So, yeah, I mean, for the most part. I don't know, Tyler. There were some really fluke injuries that happened last year. (laughs) Uh, Jaleel Arini falling downstairs and Tyler <laughs> Hennington falling. I guess we shouldn't laugh about it, but it was kind of bizarre, some of the, the injuries yeah. that they had last year. So all CU Buff players, look both ways before you cross the street. No Pokemon Go play. <laughs> What's going on with that? I don't know, dude. I'm not so gonna, people are just walking around gonna. aimlessly around town looking like on their phone for yeah. monsters? Like, Yeah, I'm not going to give my thoughts for fear of alienating too many people. Okay, is this just like a college kids thing or like no? Everybody. There's like playing. 50 year old men walking around. Oh town? yeah, dude. I saw. I they already have in four weeks. I think it was. I think it started four weeks ago. They already have as many users as Twitter in four weeks. That can't be possible. I swear to God. Wow. I saw it on the internet yesterday. They were showing charts about how quickly their users moved up. It was insane. I did not hear about this whole phenomenon until yesterday. So it just kind of shows that I'm getting older and no, more discontent. I'm jealous of you. I wish that I still didn't know about this phenomenon. <laughs> All right, enough uh, Pokemon Go talk here. <laughs> Buck Walters had uh, this to say. I know that you said CU will not take another prep quarterback this year with Tyler Lytle's commitment. Are the Buffs still after Juco quarterbacks? And more specifically, Cameron Burston from California. Love his tape and hope he offer. They actually haven't offered Cameron Burston. They, they didn't. They were evaluating him. I, again, I, I just don't think you're going to take another quarterback and risk spooking Tyler Lytle. You talk about Steven Montez having a bright future. Tyler Lytle, you're super excited about him. Sam Neuer, we still don't know quite what they got there. It sounds like he at least looks the part during these player-run practices this summer. And then you've got three underclassmen walk-ons. If just one of those guys can prove to at least be like an emergency depth piece type of guy, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily need to bring in a JUCO quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's There's not a huge need for it on the depth chart right now. Um, and they, I mean, we all know that they feel really high, highly on all the guys that are coming in for them. So I'd be surprised if they took a chance on another dude. Because if they take a JUCO guy, they got to feel confident he's better than what they have already on the roster. Because one of those guys probably leaves. If, if you bring if you bring in another quarterback. So you got to be confident that he's better than Neuer, better than Montez, whoever else you want to throw in there. Yeah, had you missed out on Tyler Lytle and taken more of a developmental type of quarterback, then I think you can kind of do whatever you want. 
and, and take a Juco guy. I do agree. Cameron Burston looks really good. No, I'm really athletic guy. But just probably not in the cards for the buffs. Crazy John 85 asked, uh, do you believe Xavier Newman can and or will be flipped? This is, of course, the offensive lineman from DeSoto, Texas, that was basically a silent commit to Colorado. And then the Texas Longhorns come in there. We've seen seen this play out a few other times in yeah, the past. Yeah. Those Texas kids, as bad as, as much as the Longhorns have underperformed as a football program, the last ever since what Vince Young basically, or no Colt McCoy, ever since he graduated, it's still it's still the program in that state. If you're a kid growing up in Dallas or Houston, like that's just like kind of the the mecca. So you get an offer from there, it's tough to turn down. I do know. Xavier Newman loves Colorado. Mom wants him in Austin. Yeah, uh, that's what we've heard. Um, we will see, though, because they've gotten a few of the Baylor offensive line commits. There's been some rumblings lately that he might decommit and go somewhere else. Unfortunately for us, the rumors out there is that he's not going to Colorado. So Oklahoma. we'll see what happens. Yeah, exactly, Oklahoma. So we'll see what happens there. But we have heard that he was really big, really high on Colorado. But for now, it sounds like Mom wants him to stay pretty close to home. So. We'll see what happens there, but I, I think there is a chance for sure. And the chances Colorado needs to, for that chance to take place, Colorado needs to win a lot of football games yeah. this fall. They, this he's one of those guys, and I would have put the Las Vegas guys in in that category. It's just if you go to a bowl game, you get, you're probably going to get some of those guys, but if you don't, you're not. It's just kind of the the bottom line there. TD for TD asked, "Have you heard anything about our staff pursuing JUCO DBs, Jonathan Abram and Antonio Howard?" Have we backed off with Jalen Burrell on board? You know I keep keep my ear to the ground, and with uh, Abram and uh, Howard here, I have not heard a lot of rumblings in terms of them legitimately looking at Colorado and, and maybe coming to be a buff. So uh, those are not guys that if you if you see the guys I do updates on, that's usually kind of an yeah, indicator yeah. of you know I try to guys that you feel have a chance to go there. Yeah, more DM twenty one. He wanted uh, a win prediction, but he's going to have to wait on that. We're, yeah. not, we're not quite ready to jump into that. Well, that's something we'll do on our preseason show. Yeah, we'll do the we'll do the win prediction game after we get to watch him camp a little bit. Yeah, it's usually a little bit of a safer. Well, the only problem with that though is I always end up like adding on another win, and then I, <laughs> at least in the past, I, that's I've gone to regret that because like last year, I don't think you've done anything too crazy. In no, 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 predictions. no. Yeah, but uh, so we'll wait on that. But he also. Asked, uh, do you expect any commits following the barbecue on the 24th? If so, who? Uh, yeah, I definitely think between those guys we talked about earlier, Horton, Roddick, Ali, depending if they can get Sherman on campus as well. I don't know. I'm going to maybe say they get two commits out of that. That'd be good. I mean, I think anybody would take any of those, two of any of those four guys, so. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the whole purpose of having this event is that they're expecting to get some commitments out of it. Uh, we have a few guys that we ha maybe have an inkling on, but we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Nips13, has the staff been trying to keep in contact with Josh Follow as much as they have been with Bolden, Perry, and Rogers? It really seems like the staff is working their butts off to make sure no one outworks them. Yeah, I mean, they... You, you talk to these recruits and you ask the question, who's recruiting the hardest? Colorado gets named a lot, which is yeah. pretty impressive. Josh Follow is is definitely still getting recruited. Uh, he was, I think, leaning towards Oregon, and then Oregon recent got, recently got a tight end, so yeah, I think there's a lot now. of 
got two now, so there's a lot of Colorado fans that are kind of optimistic. Now, Colorado, technically, if you look at the commit list, has two tight end recruits commits listed, but between Olver and Sparaco, I mean, at least one of those guys I would think is going to be a defense alignment in college. Yeah, if not both. So yeah, um, I mean, we definitely have not heard as much about follow throughout this process. I'm not sure if that has anything to do with his brother's situation or not, or if they're just playing him a little bit tighter to the vest. I mean, he, the only person we've really seen them super attached to so far is Oregon. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they're obviously they'd love to have him. They McIntyre coached both of his brothers, so you hard pressed to convince me that they he, they don't want to follow here, but. Um, those guys seem to take a little bit longer. Uh, he doesn't seem like he's in any bit of a hurry at the moment. So I, we'll just have to play it out and see how things go. Um, obviously, it was another one of those guys that I put in there. If we find a way to get to a bowl category, you'd have to feel better about your chances. Colorado's done a good job cultivating that that uh, that whole scene out there in Northern California with the Intercom kids and Coach T out there that, if you follow him on Twitter, is – uh, loves the Colorado staff, and he's very influential in, in, in terms of the seven-on-seven seven stuff with a lot of these kids, and Josh Follow is one of the guys he works with. I think Colorado is going to be in the discussion for Josh Follow to the end. Honestly, I would set your expectations pretty low in terms of yeah. I wouldn't expect him to be a buff. We'll see how it plays out. In terms of NJ's situation, if anything, you would think that would be a benefit for Colorado because McIntyre is not turning his back on NJ in NJ, you know, he's got to get through this legal stuff, but he's going to get, be given another chance at Colorado. Yeah, it sounds like it, as long as he uh, does what he's asked of him for the next... I mean, I think we heard, last heard that at the end of the semester, fall semester, he can find his way back if he does everything right. So, Tom in Southwest Florida asked, do you know how the process of how the staff evaluates recruits? So there was a kind of an interesting piece with Mike Murphy recently where he kind of broke down the the system of how they they do the film there's so much huddle stuff to to sift through you can't have your nine assistants sitting there going through every single recruit so there's basically kind of a filter stage where guys get put in different categories based off their film and it's obviously not just highlight tapes they go through and watch a lot of game film and there's no-brainer guys that you offer at the top of your list very early on, and, and you go after them as hard as you can. There's that next tier of the, the camp guys that you want to see in person, and uh, we talked about Heston Page and uh, Isaiah Lewis earlier, a couple guys that you know rose to the top of that list after the staff saw them in person. It is, it is kind of a crazy process. They do organize it on, on a big board, and they sit and have these long meetings as a staff, watch film, and you know, have their input. At the end of the day, obviously, Mike McIntyre makes the final calls. But we've noticed, especially with Darren Cheverini coming on board, that the assistants have a little bit more freedom now in terms of offers. Now, it makes it a little bit more hazy in terms of, okay, what's a committable offer? But it's streamlined as much as it can. But yeah. your, your, your brother works for yeah. USC. Maybe you share some insight in, in yeah, this process Yeah, I was just well. going to say that the initial stages is something that I'm very familiar with because it's what my brother does for USC. So... They use him, um, they obviously have a much bigger recruiting department, it's the benefit of being USC, but they uh, basically they get film from guys all over the country that needs to be filtered out. Um, so they trust my brother to bring them the guys that they think can play at USC. Um, you go through a lot of tape, once, once people kind of get through that stage of the process, um, you try to find some of these kids at the camps. Get a, get a hold of them that way, try to get them on campus for unofficial visits. Um, definitely a lot of people move up from camp performances because these coaches really rely on seeing guys live. Um, they trust their eyes more than anything, obviously. 
highlight tape can sometimes skew how good a player really is because you want to see what does he do well and what does he not do well. You're not going to see a lot of that stuff on a highlight tape. So um, from that perspective, they keep him real busy with all that. Um, and then, you know, he brings the film to each individual position coach or, or um, region coach, whichever, you know, who's going to be recruiting that guy. It depends on the program, obviously. And it kind of just work, works its way from there, and then it gets whittled down based on who's interested and if, is there mutual interest as, as time goes on. Also part of the evaluation process, and, and McIntyre's big on this, is vetting guys. Um, you'll deal with some issues once they get on campus if you think they're a good-hearted person, but you want to make sure they're the right type of individual you're bringing in there, too. There's a whole transcript side of things that you got to make sure this kid's yeah. going to be able to qualify. There's really a lot that goes into it. Throughout the spring evaluation period, these coaches are just on the road constantly, stopping by high schools, trying to turn over every rock. During the winter, you know, you, you see all these in-home visits, and, and a lot of fans maybe think that's kind of what they're doing. But most of the day, they're actually going out recruiting for the next few years, and, and there's just so much work that goes into it. It's kind of incredible. I don't think the average CU, the average college football fan realizes how much work goes into it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can talk to that a little bit as well. Um... So my brother just came back to USC, took a year and a half off. But um, the first time around there, he actually didn't have a house. Slept on a couch in the coach's offices every single night. Um, worked over 100 hours a week usually. Um, so, And that's just a support staff type of guy. So, I mean, a lot of the coaches live in hotels right across the street from the coach's office for during the football season. They don't go home a lot of the time. So it's it's a grind for sure. And uh, what's the saying? It's kind of like uh, recruiting's like brushing your teeth. You got to do it every day. I for forget who said that, but it's very true. I mean, you, you talk about how important these relationships are, and, and some of these guys they're getting it's it's a result of the fact that Colorado's just simply recruiting them harder than yeah. everybody else. Yeah, I mean, everybody wants to be to feel like they're wanted somewhere. So that's an important piece for anybody, whether it's a football recruit or someone who's looking to get a job, any, any, you know, anything in life you want to feel like you're wanted. So absolutely. Elrod, he asked, what do you think about the sudden national hype around Chido Bayouze, which we've known around here for a while, he says. And then he uh, asked, don't you think Tedrick Thompson deserves more national or at least regional attention? I think with Cheeto, it was just only a matter of time. Yeah, and it just, made sense why it took a little bit longer for them to discover what the, what the guy can do. I was going to say it's about damn time. Cheeto's a beast. So, I mean, everyone's like, oh, I don't, we'll see how he gets drafted. He's too small. I'm like, he's literally the same size as every corner who gets drafted in the first round every single year. And, yeah. he, and he's more stacked. He plays a little bit differently than most corners do. Obviously, he plays more like a linebacker, as McShay noted on his... Uh, on his tweet that everybody's kind of referring to about the national hype he's getting now. He's a really good player, um, not only as an NFL prospect, but as a college player as well. Um, in terms of Tedrick, I don't think he stayed healthy enough to really warrant that amount of national recognition. Um, and I'm not quite sure he's transitioned as well to the NFL um, as a safety. He's a big guy, but he's not crazy fast. Um, so that from a prospect perspective, that's going to hurt him. Uh, I mean, I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he stays healthy and has a huge year because he's a big part of what we do on defense for sure when he stays healthy. Um, but no, I, I would not say that he deserves to have the near as much national recognition or even regional recognition as he pointed out as Cheeto. We got a couple basketball questions here. John S-O-Z-S asked, what are your guys' opinions on where the buffs stand with Deshaun Schwartz? Top option at this point? Of course, Deshaun Schwartz is the wing from down in Colorado Springs. 
He played uh, playing with the same AAU team that Dominique Collier and Tori Miller did, the, the Kansas City Run GMC, I think is what it's called. Anyways, uh, yeah, I mean, I would honestly be shocked if he does not end up a buff. I think he's just kind of enjoying the process. Yeah, um, I think I would be at this point. It's We're putting all of our eggs in one basket with this kid, so I really hope that's how it works out. I mean, pretty much every camp um, that he shows up at, all the national guys are talking about Tad basically just sitting there on his hip watching everything that he does, so... Um, I really hope that turns out to be the case. He's definitely got some legitimate options. Um, but, yeah, it does definitely feel like this is this is a marriage that's going to end up working out. So if that changes, I guess we can update it then. From But from now, I, I, you have to feel pretty good about um, where we stand with him. On, on the same note, I talked about in the past that I thought maybe he wasn't quite a, he was ranked a little bit too highly. But in a lot of the camps in the last few weeks, people have said that he's really performed extremely well against top competition. So I think he's really starting to wait, work his way up into being a legitimate top 75 uh, player for his class. Cal and Stanford are a couple other schools that he's been receptive to their interest. He can't pick Cal. He can't do that to Colorado fans. Yeah, I would be less than thrilled. <laughs> Chai Indebuff asked, does XJ returning also signify that he'll be more open to playing the four this season? Have he and Tad Boyle discussed how to best use him on this roster? The one thing you know about Tad Boyle is he had very candid conversations with XJ when XJ was determining what he was going to do. Was he going to come back? Was he going to graduate and you know try to go play professionally somewhere? Tad Boyle, as we like to say, keeps it real. Yeah, so yeah. You know he laid out to XJ, look, you're going to be playing in the post more, but I think you still want to utilize his his stretchability as a, as a shooter offensively. So I don't think he's still going to be able to play on the perimeter. Just you're just going to have to play more defensively down in the post. Yeah, I mean, I think what's what's nice about his game is that they're going to use him in whatever way the defense allows him to be useful. Um, so if they put a small guy on him, Tad's going to make him get in the post and go to work. I don't really. I, I think I feel like it's been a little overhyped about how XJ feels about playing in the post. Like he's really successful there whenever he does it in years past. I, I think it's a little bit of a bigger or a, not as big of a deal as some people are making it out to be. Um, they just need to make sure they do a good job of really hammering that point home when he's got a smaller guy on him. But yeah, and going back to Tad, the one thing you know for sure is that he's going to tell you exactly how he feels and what he expects out of you and how he expects to use you. Um, and I think the guys really respect that. So Xavier knows what he's getting himself into by coming back. Um, I think they'll use he's going to play a lot of minutes. So um, it'll be an important piece of what we do. And I think he'll be successful. I think he'll have a solid year. One thing I'd like to see out of his game is when he pump fakes at the three line after he's hit a couple and they're starting to come out on him and starts to drive. Open your vision up a little bit. He's He, he needs to improve as a passer in that regard. Sometimes he's just so tunnel vision into the, mm -hmm. the rim. That's one area of his game I'd like to see kind of evolve a little bit. Moose4551 wanted to know if we found any good Amazon Prime Day deals. I actually, I know what Amazon Prime is, but I don't know what Amazon Prime Day deals are. Yeah, me neither. I don't have Amazon Prime, so. What's the best That's, money you've ever spent? The best money that I've ever spent is actually really easy. And it's going to sound lame, but it's not. So in my new house, we have a walk-in closet. And I live with my girlfriend, for those of you who don't know. And she has a lot of clothes and I have a lot of shoes. So we need a lot of room. So we had a, we had a closet put in, a, a walk-in built-in closet with a bunch of shelves and stuff. And it was easily the best money I've ever spent. 
Okay. You can fit like five times as much stuff in there. It's amazing how many, how much clothes and shoes we have in that closet right now. So it makes my life a lot easier because we have a lot less storage and boxes running around everywhere now. I can get on board with that. I've, my mom was just in town visiting and helping watch my daughter and literally the first thing when she left, I had to spend like an hour just getting the clutter. There's just crap everywhere. I cluttered house, cluttered mind, but like everything's got to be organized. So if you, if you have your closet all organized, uh, when you go in there, I bet it's, uh, it keeps you a, a peace of mind basically. Definitely. I, I've this the answer to this question made me realize that I'm getting old though. <laughs> For me, man, the best money I've ever spent is just a flat screen HD TV. It's just, I mean, I think back to like my childhood and you, you know, the, the old school TVs and, and how spoiled we are now. Can't even watch an old school TV now. It makes your eyes hurt. Yeah, it does. It's crazy that we used to do that yeah. for our whole lives, and it was like, oh man, this is what it's going to be for the rest of life. I now guess, I, I guess my iPhone too. With my job, I don't think I'd ever be able to leave home if I didn't. Have it. <laughs> I don't even know because I started doing this in two thousand and three, kind of with the flip phone. I don't even remember how I did my job back then. I mean, there's times I've literally broken news, getting something, getting a scoop, like driving, pulling over to the side of the road and being able to put it out Did there. you imagine if you had to do this job without cell phones? Yeah, I'd be just be sitting by my, <laughs> my office phone all day. Yeah. I'd have no light. Sounds painful. I'd be pale white because I would never leave my <laughs> office. So uh, this has been a fun show so far. We, I, I do want to send thoughts and prayers out to a couple people. Uh, Tom Kensler, former Denver Post beat writer, had a brain aneurysm, really scary deal. And uh, we've I've been getting updates, but I don't know how much his wife really wants out there. I actually really like Tom. We would go on road trips, uh, obviously covering CU games, and we'd always go eat dinner. And such a nice guy. He had, like, the best stories. He covered Oklahoma State back when Barry Sanders was there and covered the bus for a long time, was a longtime Denver sports writer, and just a really great guy. And uh, so – Thoughts and prayers with him, kind of a scary deal. I met up with him not too long ago in our Old Town Arv- Arvada, and he was enjoying retirement, and we are talking about getting out to play some golf, so just really kind of out of nowhere. This is a guy that worked really hard for a long time. He deserves to have a long, enjoyable retirement, so uh, hopefully he, he recovers there. Our good friend down at 6-0 Strength, Matt McChesney, has been very honest on social media about some of the post-football issues he's had. Tough to see guys that you know, gave their all to football and, and now to see what, what damage that's doing to them post-football is tough to see. Yeah, I mean, especially for someone that you know on a personal level, it's just tough to watch them go through that struggle every single day and especially with him being on social media as much as he is to kind of play it out in, in that platform as well is tough. So, I mean, I hope people reach out to him and give him the help that he needs because he's genuinely like a really good person when his mind's right and he's feeling good. So uh, I hope everybody reaches out to him and shows him some love because he deserves it. Definitely. So if you're the praying kind, definitely uh, uh, put, put Tom Kensler and Matt McChesney in your thoughts there. Let's have some fun here before we sign off, Tyler. Let's rank the Pac-12 football uniforms from 1 to 12. Should we go reverse order or uh, best to worst? Best to worst. Best to worst? Okay. My number one is USC. Love just the traditional look. They're one of the few schools that should never go away from that look. Yeah, no, I actually agree with you 100%. Uh, Their uniforms are awesome, despite the colors being kind of interesting. But it goes with who they are, so I think it even works in that regard. It just works for them somehow. Like Every time they come out, they just look classy. They look clean. I like them a lot. 
Who do you have number two? Colorado. Go yeah. Buffs. Yeah, I do yeah. too. Uh, I, they I don't like all the all the combinations. But well, yeah. But by I think large, most people don't like all the combinations they have. You know what I mean? There's some that you like more than others. But I just I just love they switch them up enough. I've always liked most of them. Just the color scheme to me is what really makes the biggest difference. I just love that black and gold. I'm sure I'm biased, but yeah, I mean, I, I think they're great. I, especially the new set of uniforms, I feel like you're getting a lot more national hype as well. Yeah, I, what was your favorite combination? They won the award for the Utah game, and I don't know if it was partly the weather just made that, that white look really good. Uh, no, I think I like the black, gray, black. Okay. That's probably my favorite that I've seen so far. I had num- uh, number three, I had Washington. I like the, the Huskies look, uh, especially when they go with the, the chrome helmets. Yeah, Washington is real clean. Same thing, I love the color scheme, purple and gold. Um, they wear a lot of black nowadays too, but I was I went to high school at a school that was purple, so I probably am a little bit biased there as well. Okay. I went to Douglas County in Cass Rock, which was purple. always have loved purple as a color, so I had them pretty high on my list as well. I would say that beyond that, I don't really love anybody in the Pac-12 that much. I like Stanford's it's, look. Stanford's it works okay. for them. It's okay. I, I feel like it's a little generic. Somehow it's different than the USC for me. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't. The the helmets are pretty boring in my opinion. Just pretty bland. I'm not a big Stanford guy. The the worst ones for me are Washington State probably. I actually have Arizona State it's, last on my list. Oh, do you? And part of that is I grew up in Phoenix, and it was kind of like the old sparky look. And maybe that wasn't like the coolest looking helmet, but they like basically like when they when they changed. It looked like a completely different school. Like when Colorado made their tweaks, you still like had mm-hmm. some of the traditional things that you always could recognize with Colorado. Arizona yeah. State, it's like, what the hell are you doing? Fear See, the I fork. Like, I like most doing? of their uniforms, but the one where they have like the color, the red and the yellow fade in and out. Is that the bowling ball one or different than that? No, it's, I think they wear it's like a black uniform and the color, the numbers, they like fade in and out between yellow and red. Those are horrible. Those ones I don't like at all. If I had to pick someone fourth, I would have Oregon State. You would have Oregon State. Yeah, I have Oregon State 11th, Washington oh, really? State oh, wow. 10th. I've got Cal 9. UCLA is tough to rank because the colors are awesome. Like, if they were in Nike school, they would probably be in my top three because yeah. I know Nike wouldn't do them the way <laughs> Adidas did. Yeah. Adidas had some horrible looks yeah, for Yeah, I love their helmets. I think UCLA's helmets are yeah. awesome. Um, but yeah, they're for the for the most part their uniforms are pretty awful. And now we'll see Under Armour paid. Uh, yeah, they better have some dope uniforms. Yeah, they, <laughs> does Under Armour have their own printing press to make this happen? I mean, that was a crazy deal that took place. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, I'm, I actually now that I like go through it, a lot most of the uniforms in the Pac-12 I don't like at all. Arizona's I think are terrible. The way they fade the color on the Arizona jerseys yeah. looks really Oregon, cheesy. Oregon has a couple that I really like, but most of them are really awful. I put Oregon 5 on my list, and, and part of that was that I know recruits love it, and I know they were kind of on the cutting edge in terms of kind of this new evolution we've seen with the uniforms, so I kind of give them a little credit, obviously, that all spawns from uh, Knight and their, their relationship there, but you got to give them some credit in terms of the fact that the recruits really love what, what they come out with their, with their uniforms. I guess 5, I'd probably have Utah, now that like ranking through the rest of them in my head. Okay. I like, again, the helmets. I'm a big fan of the helmets. Um, the color scheme is really nice. Black, red, and white is classic look that I think always looks pretty 
pretty solid. I think the, the Utah on their jerseys is too small. That's the only thing that I can really think of off the top of my head that I don't really love. But, yeah, Utah's is pretty solid. All right. Well, we're going to go up to Boulder and, and shoot some uh, Top Buffs segments. We're continuing that countdown. We've gone through 40 all the way up to 25. I actually had a few regrets in terms of guys that I maybe would have voted a little bit differently as we went through it. What, what about you? Did uh, do you feel like in that 20 to 25 to 40 range, there's certain things you wish you could have changed with your votes? Um, there's not really anybody that I'm super disappointed that I ranked too highly or too low. Um, I guess I would say not having Jonathan Hopkins, I regret a little bit. Um, he probably deserved to be in the top 40 somewhere. Um, beyond that, I might have maybe had a few guys too high here and there. Um, but I guess we'll just have to see how it plays out. But nothing nothing sticks out in my head. is like, oh, wow, I really missed out on that one. It's interesting. This had never happened before. Jaleel Lewini is is voted number, I think, 38 by me, voted number 38 by you, voted number 38 by the fan. But he just missed the cut because Sam Cronsage ranked pretty highly on the fans list. Um, I would have gone back and made sure that Jaleel Lewini at least – snuck into the top 40, I think, in terms of what he is going to produce as a special teams contributor yeah. and uh, in special packages offensively. I, I think this is a definitely one of the top 40 most talented players on this football team. Yeah, I would have to agree. I mean, he's a guy who deserves to be on there. But, I mean, I had him on my list, so I can't really, you know, I mean, we all did. So yeah. it's just one of those things that works out. Uh, I think I was talking about one guy that I might have had maybe a little bit too high is maybe Tim Coleman. Um, not because I, I mean, I love him as a player. It's just in terms of the number of snaps, I don't know if he'll have. I think I had him 28th. That's probably too high in terms of just the amount of impact he'll be able to have based on snaps. I also had Ricky Amboa ranked, uh, voted for him at number 36, which it, it kind of came down to a speed issue there. Um, but he did lead the team in tackles last year. Regardless of the situation, I sure probably put him up there. And we, of course, know that Addison Gillum could be one play away from, yeah. you know, not being a starter and Rick Gamboa being the, the starting middle linebacker again. So maybe would have changed that. But I'm looking forward to getting up into this countdown. Uh, it, it's a little bit more fun now because I feel like we have to be a lot more critical, the guys on the the back end of this list. But the mm -hmm. top top guys are we can get a little bit more. Uh, yeah, we're getting to the stage where everybody's talented. Yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed this show. We will be back with a new Buff Stampede Radio again soon.